of many. That's, that's the main thing, okay? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 11:28. We spent several weeks there already, and we were looking at the call of Christ. But tonight and next week at least, we're going to focus on the rest, R-E-S-T, the rest of Christ. Anybody want to read Matthew 11:28? Okay, again, we talked about the call a few weeks, and who does, who does the call go out to? Everyone. And who is the rest available to? Everyone, okay? Uh, John Newton uh, made a point, of, made a, a comment about this many years ago, and he compared the dispensation of the gospel uh, to the uh, cities of refuge in the nation of Israel. How many do you do you remember what the cities cities of refuge were in the Old Testament? What were they? Okay. Uh, exactly, and and there were uh, there were six six uh, refuge cities, three on the east side of Jordan, three on the west side, and uh, the reason John Newton compares the gospel uh, to the cities of refuge uh, again, uh, who is the gospel available to? Everyone. Who were the cities of refuge available to? Everyone. But what's interesting is this, and and uh, Phyllis, you're exactly right. If you committed a murder, uh, you would flee to a city of refuge. <coughs> Excuse me. It could have been accidental. But what, whatever the case, <coughs> pardon me, uh, you could flee to a city of refuge. Now, if the family of the one that you killed caught you first, you were toast. Okay? But once you reached that city of refuge, uh, you were there until you were judged and whatever may take place. Yeah, you were told. Exactly right. If you remember uh, when David, <coughs> excuse me, uh, let's see, let me, let me back up here. Uh, when Solomon uh, was driven out by his own son and uh, one of the Jews was throwing rocks at him and cursing him, uh, his name starts with a B, it slipped my mind out. But at any rate, uh, they wanted to kill him and David said, no, we're not going to do that. Well, during Solomon's time, uh, they thought, sure, Solomon would, would kill him. And, and Solomon said, as long as you stay in this city. Now, it wasn't a city of refuge, but it became one for him. Well, again, he didn't stay. He went out to get something and come back. Of course, he lost his life. But, again, when we think about the cities of refuge, it was available for everyone. But the bottom line is, even though it was available for everyone, who experienced the full blessing of a city of refuge? Yeah, one who had to run there, okay? Now, it was there for everyone. But only those who had committed maybe a crime or maybe accidental death, whatever it might have been, only they understood the real value of it because they had to run there for protection. And so, again, um, and by the way, that's what the cities were there for. It's exactly why God told Moses to put three on each side of the river 
and make sure they're in close enough where it's possible for someone to run and flee to those cities. So it was there for that purpose. Now, it's also interesting. The same is true for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, who's it available to? Everyone. But who does it benefit? The ones who come to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting, in our text tonight in Matthew 11, uh, 28, uh, the call goes out to those who are laboring, uh, those who are heavy laden. And when we apply that to the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, we're talking about those who realize that they are bound by sin, they're they are tired, uh, they're weary of, of, of carrying that load, uh, they are miserable, uh, they, they are, uh, wow, they, they're just done with that life. And again, the, the fact that there's a gospel of Jesus Christ, a place that we can run to to find rest for our weary souls. Now, understand something. In the Old Testament, God provided a place of rest, the refuge of cities, uh, refuge cities, if you will. Now, in the New Testament, we have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you say that God's a gracious God? We have nowhere else to go. And God says the gospel is, you know, God says, come to me and I will give you rest. Thinking about the uh, cities of refuge, and I think you'll understand the application here. Um, and, And again, wouldn't you agree it would be foolish not to run to one of those cities if you committed a murder or a crime of any kind? But the bottom line is, if you didn't run to it, what was your hope? Not very good at all. So, you know, again, if, if those who were without Jesus Christ, those who were unsaved, if they would just for a moment consider the blessing of this invitation. Christ says to come and he says, I will give you rest. Now, I know speaking for myself and um you know, I thought about being saved for several years before I, I gave my life to Christ. And I, I can't really say what was hindering me. Um, you know, what I don't know. I can't put a finger on that. But here's what I want you to realize. And you can, you can identify with this. The moment we come to Christ, the moment we believe the gospel, we find a rest we could never imagine. A rest that comes only through knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. But the sad thing is, you know, I heard preaching today on the narrow and the broad road, how different roads, but how one is easy to get onto and it's a wide road, but one is more confined and there's few that find that. And we know that's true in our world. Uh, At any given age, wouldn't you agree the majority of the world takes a wide road? Sure they do. It's true in our lifetime. But the problem is, so many people in our world today, in any age, they choose to remain in their ignorance. Unbelief continues to work in their lives. And, of course, Satan is there trying to keep them back from the gospel. I don't have the verse, but Paul told the church of Corinth, Satan has blinded their eyes. And he does. He doesn't want people uh, to uh, come to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I find it also kind of interesting, um, some of the excuses people use, 
uh, from maybe not coming to Christ. And again, when I say I don't think they're trying to maybe avoid it, maybe it's a genuine heartfelt consideration or concern they have. Uh, some, what if somebody would say, I'm not qualified to come to Jesus? Well, think about that. Some would say, well, you, you don't know uh, the sins I've committed. Uh, you, I remember when I led my mother to the Lord uh, shortly before she died, and she said, son, you don't know the bad things I've done. I said, I don't have to know them, but God knows them, and he can forgive me of those things. And it doesn't matter, but a lot of people say, you know, I, I've been so bad, or I've, I've done this, or I've done that. And, and so, you know, they, for whatever reason, uh, they're thinking, you know, man, I, I don't know if I can do this. I, I don't know. And a lot of people get the idea, well, I will come, but let me clean my life up first. What's wrong with that? It never happens, does it? It simply never happens. And, of course, uh, there are some people who don't feel the burden of that sin. They don't realize how they're trapped and they are enslaved to sin. And, and so uh, they don't see a need of the rest that Christ offers to them. And then there were some that might say, you know what, I'm not sure how to come. Uh, wow, I know I've, I've heard people, preachers speak about this. I've heard there's something about repentance is there. Uh, faith is uh, certainly essential if I'm going to be saved. But... Is my repentance sincere? Uh, is my faith deep enough? Or is it superficial? Is it just uh, I agree with some of the facts of the gospel? You know, is my faith what it ought to be? Is my repentance deep enough? Is it sincere? But remember, what does Jesus tell us to do in that verse? To come. Tells us to come. So he gives an invitation. Now, first of all, and Phyllis, you said that, we can never clean our life up, but who can? He can. Uh, absolutely. And if he, if he don't or can't or won't, we're in trouble, okay? Absolutely, absolutely. Now, it's interesting Two things are important. Now, remember, the invitation is to come. And if we are truly coming to Christ, now keep in mind, if we are truly coming to Christ, we are coming the right way. The old hymn we sang, just as I am, that's how we come. We just come. That's the command. Come. And also remember, God always hears the cry of our heart. He always does. And so if we'll come, our faith will be right and our repentance will be right. Because you cannot come to Christ unless those things are right in your life. Uh, one example just came to my mind, and you know the story uh, the thief on the cross beside Jesus. Uh, early in the day, they both railed against Christ. They both uh, sort of cursed him. But something happened to one of the thieves. And before he died, what did he ask Jesus to do? Remember me when you come to your kingdom. And what did Christ do? He remembered it. Today you will be with me in paradise. So there he is on the cross 
just a few hours early, he was railing against Christ, and now he's pleading with him. He had truly come. And Christ said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. The New Testament has quite a few examples of those who came to Christ. Some came for healing. A lot came for healing. A lot came for that and got more than they expected. Okay? Uh, some heard the invitation and they sought God's approval for their lives. Now, first of all, when the call goes out to come, if number one, if we're going to be persuaded, if we're going to come, we have to be convinced of God's power and that He is willing to help us. If we're not convinced, guess what? We won't come. But for those who come, they are convinced that God has a power and God is willing to meet them at the point of their need. Now, by the way, does God do that? Yes. He has the power and He's willing. And the same is true in salvation. Those who come for salvation have to be convinced that Christ is the one who's able to save them. They have to be convinced that he is ready uh, to receive them, uh, no matter who they are, no matter what their sin is. If they want to be healed of that sin, Christ is ready to receive them. He can do it, and he will. Now, by the way, Of anyone who comes, which of those will he turn away? None. He will in no wise cast them out. No way. So first of all, those who came were persuaded. He got the power to do it, and he's willing to do it. Second of all, it's one thing to know it, but if you don't go, what good is it? None. They sought him. I think we mentioned this last Wednesday night, if not not too long ago. Uh, the blind man, he had heard about Jesus. And word had gotten to him that he was in town and he was passing by. And he sat down a roadside and he cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And they told him to stop it, quiet down. What did he do? He got louder. He wasn't content with hearing about Jesus. He wanted to seek him. And that's exactly what he did. Now, again, the blind man and those who came were convinced of his power. They believed he was willing. And so they sought him. Luke 9.23. Anybody got that? Uh, thank you, Phyllis. If any man, that includes anyone, if we are going to follow Jesus, he says we got to deny ourselves. What's the problem with that? We don't want to do that. It's not natural. It's just not natural. But we've also got to take up our cross. Now, 
I've heard people say, well, my cross is this and my cross is that. Well, if you lived in that day, you wouldn't think that. The cross was a place of crucifixion. It was a place of dying. So Christ said we've got to die to ourselves every day of our life. And we've got to follow him. And so those who are seeking Christ uh, for salvation uh, have got to follow him. And we have to receive him as our Lord and Master. And by the way, we have to give up everything that's not consistent with the will of God. So there is a coming and there's also a following of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to be willing to be obedient to the word of God. So believe that he can, he's powerful enough, and believe that he will. But also we've got to seek him. Now, this is kind of interesting, and this didn't really hit me to this week, because I've read this verse uh, many, many times, and so have you. And, uh, wow, Matthew, the tax collector. And what did people think about tax collectors in those days? Yeah, about what we think about them today, okay? You know, we don't like tax collectors, right? But anyway, uh, you're, and you're right, Phyllis, they were, they were lower than low. Uh, a lot of them were... Uh, uh, Whenever one, they were working for the Roman government, and they were attacking the Jews, collecting money, and they'd always collect a little bit more for their own pocket, whatever it might have been, and don't know much about Matthew, but that's what it, look at Matthew 9, 9. Look what it says. Wow, what do you see here? What's going on? Say it again, Dan. Okay, amen, yeah. Just, yeah. And um, as far as Matthew is concerned, it's like, just like yesterday, right? Okay, sitting there, collecting that taxes. Christ comes along, what's Christ say? How many words is that? Two. Follow me. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. You, you didn't give him the Romans road. I mean, you should at least, you know, Acts 2.38, something like that. You know, you could have quoted that to him. Now, I know it wasn't written here, but Jesus already knew that, right? But, but two words. Follow me. Say what? Yeah. Now, I, I confess, and, and I didn't do a lot of research on that this week, but we're not told there was any other encounter before this. So would you agree there was something about those two words that got Matthew's attention? How do we know? He followed him. He said, well, now, wait a minute, Lord, let, let me get my stuff together here. Let me grab this money back. Uh, I got this record book. I got to take it with me. Is that what he said? He just got up and he followed him. Now, don't miss this, folks. Those two words were accompanied with power, and there's no doubt they touched the heart of Matthew. 
And just like that, he separated from his worldly pursuits and he followed Jesus. Follow me. Some uh, certainly had to be drawn by the Spirit. Nathaniel would be one, John chapter one, verse forty six. So what was Nathaniel's attitude? Wow. So Philip comes to him. And what's Philip's answer? Didn't argue with him. Didn't try to instruct him. He said, Nathaniel, just come and see. So what did Nathaniel do? You can know the story. He went. And Jesus said, I saw you sitting under that tree earlier. And God dealt with his heart. In Luke 7, there was a called a sinner woman, if you will. We don't know her name. Look at verse 38. What kind of a picture do you see in your mind here? What was her attitude? She's broken. Yeah. Whatever her life, we're not told what her sin was, but what, what sin is sin, right? And a sinner needs forgiveness. And she knew. And the Bible says she came and she was weeping. And she began to wash his feet with tears. And she began to wipe them with the hairs of her head. You know, there were some Pharisees there that day, if you know the story. And Jesus called their hand. He said, you haven't offered me anything. But this woman, since the time I got here, she's been broken. She's been weeping. And she's been washing my feet with her tears. So my question is, on that day, who did Jesus have an effect on? The woman. The one who was called a sinner woman. One of a broken spirit. In Luke 4, there was a, a nobleman who came to Jesus. And uh, his son was sick to the point of death. And he told Jesus, you don't need to come, just say the word. You know what he believed? He believed he could do it. He believed that Jesus had the power to say the word 
and her son would be healed. But he also believed that Christ was willing to do that. Well, how do you know? Well, first of all, if he didn't think he was willing, he wouldn't have asked him. So he believed he could, and he believed he was willing. Now, by the way, the only reason he approached Jesus was to save the life of his son. But what he didn't realize, Christ was going to give him that. But my friend, he gave him so, so much more. John 4, look at verse 53. What happened? Yeah. Not only did his son live, but the whole house was saved. Paul would write the church at Rome, and he would tell us in that letter that God's word was written for our, to admonish us and to encourage us. And truly, these things that we read in the New Testament are are recorded for our encouragement. And we know that after about 33 and a half years here on earth, he was crucified, and some days later he ascended back to heaven. And so he's not here on earth in visible form. But my friend, you know what he promised us? He said, I'll not leave you like an orphan. He promised his spiritual presence to abide. He promised his word and he promised that he would be with us until the end. I will ne- never, ne- never leave you or forsake you even to the end of the age. And the sad thing is, while many refuse to come because of their unbelief, because of Satan hindering them, or what are the reason? Some wonder, can I come? Will he receive me? Yes, he will. But the good news is, those who are weary don't have to take a long, hard journey to find Jesus. Now, by the way, whenever we are weary, I mean really weary, what do we want? We want rest. We don't want to take another step. We don't want to go two more steps. We want rest. Acts chapter 17, look at verse 27. Paul is preaching here. Look what he says. What's Paul telling him? Now he's preaching there in Mars Hill. He said, hey, all you have to do is reach out for him. He's not ten miles away. He's not far from each of us. He is here in our presence. The journey is not long and it's not hard unless we make it that way.
But please understand, folks, Christ is always near whenever the gospel is preached. Romans chapter 10, look at verses 6 through 8. Are you in Romans 10, verse 6 through 8? Thank you, Phyllis. Paul is quoting from the Old Testament here. In verse 6, he says, But the the righteousness which of faith speaks this way. So we know he's drawing a comparison. And for the Jews, for the most part, they were seeking righteousness but at the wrong way. And the law said, you shall not. And so that being said, what is the wrong of trying to become righteous by the law? Say it again. You can't. You can't. And that's what the rights of the law says. You can't do it. Try as hard as you can. You can't do it. Climb the stairway to heaven. You're, going to bring, you're not going to bring him down. So Paul says there's another righteousness that's come by faith. And you don't have to worry about going up high to bring him down. You don't have to go into the deep. So what do you have to do? And Paul says, the Bible tells us that the word is near us. Even in your mouth and in your heart. And Paul said that word is the word of faith, which we preach. In Romans chapter 4, we're not going to turn there tonight. We're not going to take any verses necessarily. But the apostle lays out a very detailed argument or exegesis on why righteousness has always been by faith. And he uses Abraham as an example. Now, again, Abraham was declared righteous. He is known as the father of the faithful. Did the law make Abraham righteous? No. Why not? You what? He wasn't even there yet. Hadn't been given. 
But even if the law had been given, Abraham couldn't do it. But nonetheless, it wasn't there. So Paul says, the Bible says, Abraham believed God. What's that mean? He had faith. That is righteous, righteousness if it's by faith. Now you need to remember. So Abraham believed right after Isaac was born. No. This is quite a few years before Isaac was born. God gave Abraham a promise and Abraham believed God. And because he believed God, God declared him righteous. He didn't have to go up to heaven. didn't have to go down to the grave. All he had to do was believe. I don't know who said this, but here's what they said. If you cannot come to Christ with a tender heart and a burden conscious, then come to him for them. Ask him to meet you at your point of your need. You remember the father in Mark chapter 9 whose son had been uh, demon-possessed for many years. When Jesus told him, if you can believe all things are possible, what did that father say? Help my, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so when we can't come with a tender heart and a burden, we come for them. God, speak to my heart. And I realized that, again, I met several people through the years, including my own mother was convinced that the load that she was carrying, the sin she was carrying, disqualified her from coming. But we have to realize, when Jesus says to come unto me and I will give you rest, we have to understand this is not a work. It, in fact, is a rest that God wants to give us. We don't need to fix it. Let God do it. Find that rest in Him. Wow. Uh, you know that some of the boys, I think four of them, went on the uh, the hike in Yellowstone. And what I didn't realize until after the fact, uh, the boys, everyone, they planned it. They planned every detail, uh, you know, what they wanted to do, uh, you know, the route. And the whole point was, uh, getting these boys to be men. Now, they had the leaders there to help them and encourage them along the way, and I appreciate that. Uh, but Nate was telling them, one of, one of the things they miscalculated, they carried way too much food. Now, me, I'm for, I'm for too much food, okay? But he said, Pap, we've got to remember, we had to carry all that. And I don't know what else they may have miscalculated, but, you know, the thing is, when we talk about carrying our burden, when Jesus says, if I come to him, he'll give me rest. Wouldn't it be foolish to carry that burden? To carry something that I don't have to carry. But the problem is, a lot of times we are so stubborn or so self-confident 
we carry it so far to the point where we just can't carry it unless we force ourselves to do so. In Jesus, if you'll come to me, I will give you rest. Now, by the way, is, does anyone, is anyone burdened with so much sin that Christ can't handle it? No. Absolutely not. And even though you're, you're, you're contemplating the, uh, the depth and the amount of your sin and the burden of your sin, that's the very reason we need to run to Christ Because understand this, folks, only Christ can release us from that burden. Say it again. And that's exactly what it means. He did. He paid it all. But what about those who are concerned coming the right way? So how do you come? And again, you come just as you are. You come as a helpless Unworthy sinner, you come and you realize that you have no righteousness, you have no hope, you have no worth, you can't work your way in. Absolutely. And so the only way to come is to rely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. He paid the price. All of it. He did the work. And so that is coming the right way. And I want to tell you, if you come any other way, you will not be accepted. Yes, indeed. What can we do about our own sins? Nothing. Can we wash them away? No. Can we rid ourselves of that burden? Absolutely not. And so those things being true, why wouldn't we come to him and let him do what we cannot do for ourselves? Remember, he has the power and he's willing to do that. Now, by the way, the Bible is clear. If you come half-hearted, guess what? Yeah, it won't work. If you come careless, no, not going to work. Jeremiah 29, look at verse 13. What's that verse saying? Amen. No halfway, no half-hearted, no carelessness. We seek Him with a whole heart. And Jesus, God said, when you do, when you do, you will find Him. Now, by the way, that's why we need to preach the gospel, folks. The Word of God is powerful. It's alive. The Word of God, according to Hebrews, is sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is able to do a surgery on our lives in places where no surgeon's scalpel can reach. That's that powerful. And that's why the Word of God has to be preached. Paul said that much in Romans chapter 10 as well. 
how can they hear without a preacher? Because folk were saved by the Word of God. And that's why it's important, even as Christians, so sometimes uh, maybe it's a burden we're carrying, not our sin necessarily, but some kind of a burden. And we need help with that burden. And that's why we've got to stay close to hearing God's Word preached, and we need to search the Scriptures every day uh, in, our, in our daily devotion and Bible study. And certainly it takes a lot of prayer. How many know that if you, if you read the Scriptures from a, a humanistic stand viewpoint, Christ made a lot of outrageous claims? Did He not? And to me, this is one of them. He said, I will give you rest. Now, understand, folks, if you weren't a Christian, your mindset might say, who do you think you are? Right? I mean, who, I mean, come on. I, I've tried for myself. I can't get it myself. And I want to tell you, folks, it doesn't matter how godly the person is. doesn't matter how spiritual that person is. No one else can make that promise to us. Can't be done. Abraham, could he make that kind of promise? No. And what a man of God that he was. What about Moses? He couldn't make that promise. David, name anyone in the script. They couldn't make that promise. And it doesn't matter whether it's Abraham, Moses, David, or anybody else. If those who were weary ran to them... They could not come with the assurance they would find rest. Only God can give that. To give rest to the soul is beyond the power of any exalted creature. The angels can't do it. In fact, the matter of it is, the only reason they have rest is by the grace of God. And so, when we think about the promise, I will give you rest. That again shows us the uniqueness of Christ. So what do we mean by that? When we say the uniqueness of Christ, what, is that, what do we mean, mean by that? Who else can make that claim? Well, what about Muhammad? No, he never made it. Confucius never made it. Buddha never made it. You know why? They couldn't do it. They can't do it. But also understand, it wasn't just a man who said, Come unto me, all you that are weird and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It was the Son of God who made that promise. The God-man. Now remember, when God created humanity, what was there? What was there created being like? What? Say it again. Perfect. It was perfect. 
Have you noticed how man can mess things up? Isn't that true? Now, if you're perfect, what can you do to improve on it? Nothing, but you can sure hurt it. Listen to me, folks. Listen very carefully. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He was the one who created man. And because of that, He's the only one who can restore man. Nobody else can. And remember, folks, He is the Prince of Peace. And because of that, He is fully able to give the rest So if Christ is the only one, where else can you find it? There is no true rest. I didn't think about this before because this is before service tonight sitting in my office. But I believe it was Augustus who said there'll be no rest. I think we find no rest in Good. Good. Because the, the creature itself cannot impart it. The world can't communicate it. And even us, ourselves, we can't even manufacture it. But the problem is, we're living in a world filled with people who are looking for help in all the wrong places. And I want to tell you, folks, if you haven't noticed it, it's pathetic. To see the unsaved trying to find happiness, trying to find contentment, to find rest in material things. I don't have the verse before tonight on my notes, but Jeremiah told the Israelites. You're digging some cisterns. I mean, a little cistern. But that's not. A, it's not a brethren. It's a cistern. Okay. It's the thing to hold water. But if you dig in these cisterns, the problem is they're broken. And as soon as you pour water, guess what? That's what the world's doing. They're looking for a help in all the wrong places. You know the parable of the prodigal son. Luke 15, verse 16. Look what happens there. Thank you, Phyllis. I don't know how come I missed this. I many times we read this. 
Uh, we, we certainly remember he was in the hog pen. And what was the problem with that? He's what? He's you. Boy, he didn't want to be there. And he got so hungry, he'd have eaten the husk. How many know what a husk is? Yeah. Yeah, that's part you throw away. But the part that I, I never caught is the last part says, No man gave unto him. Now that implies to I me mean, he asked. He asked somebody for help. What did they say to him? Nope. Can't help you. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 26, woman with the issue of blood, look what happened in verse 26. What happened? She got worse. She was seeking help from man. And we'd have done the same. But all she had. But that day something happened. She touched the hem of Jesus' gone. So no matter who you are, if you look anywhere else but Jesus, we will be like the prodigal son and we will continue to be in want. Nobody will give to us. You see, here's the good news. Jesus can give us what nobody else can. He can give us what the world cannot. And it's only when we turn our hearts to Jesus Christ, it's only then we're going to find the way of peace. And my friend, we could have never found it any other way. I don't care where you look, I don't care what you spend. The effort you make, only Christ. Look at Romans 3.17. They've tried. They've looked. But they haven't found the way to peace. Aren't you glad you found that way? Aren't you thankful for the day you realized that only Jesus Christ could do us any good. The day we ran to Jesus. And I don't know why it's such a hard lesson to learn. I don't know why it's such a, a slow lesson to learn. But I've never met anybody who has come to Christ and said... I wish I would have waited two more years. I, I wish that I, I'd have waited ten more years. What do people usually say? I wish I'd have come earlier. <laughs> yeah. What a hard lesson. And oh, how slow we are to learn it. And by the way, it's not because the lesson's hard. It's because our hearts are hard. A pride of our hearts. The fact they were, we consider ourselves self-sufficient. And we live that way until God's grace begins to humble our hearts. One of the great things of the Holy Spirit, there are many. One of the great works that He does 
is to remove us from the creature-dependent mode. Now, yeah, come on now. How many of us are fixers? We can do this. We can, oh, we've got this. But before long, what do you find out? Man, we don't. We don't. So the Spirit of God begins to work on our lives. And all of a sudden, He kind of knocks those props out from underneath us. And there we are at the bottom. And we finally realize that only Jesus Christ can help us. Acts 4.12. Is that verse ambiguous? What does it say? One way and only one. What does that mean? Yeah. For those who would say, wow, that's not, that's not fair. For God to tell us there's only one way. I don't know about you, but I'm glad he said there is a way. I'm glad he told me who the way is. And I'm glad I found rest for my soul. Lord willing, next week, we're going to find out the nature of this rest that God promised. What's it like? What does it mean? What's it involve? We're going to stop there for tonight.